So, kind of an unusual Sunday, at least for us. Uh, there's all sorts of things that go on in downtown Garland all the time. Um, but most of the time, those things are going on uh, on Saturday and on Friday and so forth. But uh, they originally had this car show scheduled for a week from yesterday, a week before yesterday, a week ago yesterday, I guess that would be the way you would say it. And it looked like there was gonna be rain, so they rescheduled it and I got this email. And I'll be honest with you, I did what probably some of you did and some of you that stayed home did. I went, oh no, <laughs> because they're just gonna close everything down and you're gonna have to park 13 miles away and walk, and yet you go to the fair. <laughs> so, uh, but I believe that, uh, that there are reasons for everything and especially when you can't control it, you roll with it, amen? amen. Hey, you just gotta learn to roll. And uh, so I don't believe in coincidences. I don't believe in luck. I believe in providence. I believe that God takes circumstances and he arranges them for the benefit of his people and for his glory. Amen. Amen. That's Romans 8.28. You need to count on that. You need to memorize that. You need to really, really log it because that means that no matter what happens to you, all things work together for the good. Amen. For those who love God. Do you love God? Do you love God? Yes. And who are called according to his purpose. Well, that's not just any purpose. That is the purpose of becoming more like Jesus. That's God's purpose is to make you more like Jesus. So here we are. We're the church. Um, we're down here on the square in this very, very visible place in this 124-year-old building. And we're here for a reason. Right now, this is where God has called us and it has been for some time. Um, but as we're going to discuss in just a moment, the church is not a place. The church is not a building. The church is a people. Amen? Amen. But it's not just people scattered around. It is people who are called out of the world and called together to form that body of Christ on earth where we're going to be his hands and his feet. We're going to be doing what he calls us to do. So just a, a very brief history of us in downtown Garland. Um, we moved around a good bit in the early years and uh, there was a uh, facility. It's over on the corner of 7th Street in Maine. Uh, it's now Fish and Tails, but back then it was the Main Street Coffee House. And I came to downtown Garland on Labor Day. Garland has the Labor Day Parade, and they have for many years. It's the largest Labor Day Parade apparently on this side of the Mississippi, and Garland's been doing it forever. And uh, I came to the Main Street Coffee House, and back then it, it was sort of like this little internet cafe. I don't know if y'all remember that. It had like this little kind of bar thing that went around the windows, and it had like little uh, computers there. We all thought that was cool, right? Nobody had a smartphone back then. We just had to be smart. And uh, so you sat around and, and we had, so this is before Facebook. This is before MySpace. We had a message board. And so you remember the message board? And so we would all post on the message board. And I remember distinctly sitting there in that uh, cafe uh, that coffee shop, posting, I believe this is where God is, le is leading us. And as it turned out, um, they had, you know, a, a guy that was uh, the managing the place there, and I went and talked to him. And so we started meeting right there in the Main Street Coffee House, and then we went behind 
there were um, in the same building that's owned by the same people, there were originally offices in the back area and they had a media room that seated um, about 50 or so people. So we started meeting back there in that media room and I, I had an office right there. And then we went over and uh, we rented space from the uh, Garland Seventh-day Adventist Church, which is just up the street here, the old Austin Street Church of Christ. And we, we rented space from them for a couple of years. In fact, the last two years we did House of Judgment. Um, we did it at that particular uh, building in that particular church. And long about the time uh, the Adventists told us that they needed their space back, this building had a sign on it that said it was for lease. And so I thought, man, maybe that's what we're supposed to do. So I called and uh, I, in fact, I got all the documentation, was ready to sign the lease. And uh, this was originally redone uh, for years and years. This was McKnight's drugstore. So underneath this carpet that we've installed, it's a very interesting hybrid floor. On this side of the building where all you all are sitting, the floor is solid concrete. And that's where they would have had their counter, right? For, uh, you know, their soda fountain and their malts and all that other kind of stuff. And then on this side where all of you folks are sitting, that's a wood floor, which is in need of some tender love and care. You can, if you walk on it, you can feel there's like little soft spots in it and so forth. And, um, and I, I discovered this when we took the old carpet up and, and put that carpet down, but it was McKnight's drugs for many years. And if you talk to folks that have been in Garland for years and years, they will tell you all kinds of interesting stories about this building. Um, in fact, one guy told me that there used to be a large brass mailbox out in the front of this building. And he said he and some friends of his uh, set firecrackers off in the mailbox. I'd say, that'd get you in jail for terrorism today, right? <laughs> so, but yeah, Garland's been around forever and this building's been around forever, but I, uh, after it was McKnight's drugstore, the Garland Opry, this country music organization came in and uh, the Brashers redid it, uh, Jerry and her husband. And uh, they brought a lot of the material over from the Plaza Theater. The Plaza sold its building to the city of Garland. I think they sold it for like a dollar. And then the, the city of Garland put like a million or $2 million into it, upgrading it. And, uh, but the old seats that were in the Plaza Theater were over here. Now, those of you that have been here for a while remember sitting in those old movie seats because they were threadbare and they would have springs that would come up through them. And I can remember on several occasions, one of those springs would grab my pants as I stood up and, you know, practically tear a hole in my, in my pants. But I think they even brought the old carpet from over there. So these days, movie theaters seem to be wiser and they don't put carpet in their theaters because movie theater carpet smells really suspect. <laughs> and that was our carpet. It was this really weird blue carpet. And uh, so, yeah, we initially sublet from the Garland Opry. Um, there was a, a new uh, operator that came in and her name was Jewel Clough, sweetest lady in the world, very country. And uh, we sublet from them from mid 2007 all the way until January of 2009. And then, <coughs> excuse me, we came in on our own and we've been here ever since. We got the upstairs in 2010. But again, a church is not a building, but I believe we're here in this building for a purpose, amen? Because God's people have to gather somewhere. And in the early days and still in many places, uh, people gathered in homes 
In fact, the first church building was not built until the third century. Do you realize that? Churches were always in homes and in other facilities until the third century. The first recognizable church building built exclusively as a church um, was found in an excavation of Dura Europa, and it was in the early part of the third century, like 210 um, AD. So, no, the church is not a building, but the church is God's people who gather. And it continues to be God's people who scatter, but we don't remain scattered. We gather. And that's the important part of what it means to be the church. We're called out of the world, but if we're just always scattered, then we're never together on anything. And I think that that's one of the, the challenges uh, to the church in the wake of the pandemic is we've become so used to being scattered that we really don't gather anymore. And we think that virtual gathering is gathering, but to be honest with you, it's not the same. And those of you that are sitting here and those of you that are having to sit at home today know that sitting there and watching this on YouTube or on Facebook is simply not the same as being with God's people together in the same room. It's just a different experience. And the Lord Jesus is the one who established the church. And so it's not our province to try to change that and reestablish that. But the church has been under attack since the pandemic. And it is a very, very serious attack all over the world, literally. Now, you know, it was commonplace in socialist and communist and uh, other dictatorship uh, governments to shut churches down. In fact, all the way around Moscow, there are graves of priests from the Russian Orthodox Church who were murdered in the wake of the Bolshevik Revolution. So um, those who are in godless government positions have always persecuted the church. But now we have found that we were scattered during a time when it, we thought it made sense. We're trying to be safe. And we have this wonderful technology that permits us to go ahead and meet virtually, which, I mean, I know those of you guys that are in various uh, sorts of business know that, or education, know the challenge of trying to even do a meeting like on Zoom. That's just the worst experience ever. It really is. I, I mean, I'm glad that we have the ability to do this when we can't, but it's just horrible, right? You know, you've got audio coming from somebody's house and you don't know what's going on back there and people that don't know how to you know, operate their computer or their phone and people that are trying to give them instruction. It's the most distracting thing in the world. It's, you can't even have a meeting, really, half the time. Um, so I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. What I'm trying to do is bring this to where we are now. We're at a place now where we're getting on the other side of the pandemic. We're working through all of those sorts of issues. But as a church, as Lifewell Church, the time has come to build the church. Amen? Amen. No, the time has come. I, I'm just going to tell you straight up. We either build this church or we're not going to be in this building. That's all there is to it. Right? We need to come together and we need to build God's church and be a part of what he's doing in downtown Garland. And that's why I think that it is providential that here on this Sunday, when I was going to already talk about this, um, we have this car show. Because uh, as we're going to see, 
the scripture I'm going to reference today is actually from an obscure prophetic book in the Old Testament called Haggai. How many of you have ever heard of the prophet Haggai? Oh, you guys are scholars. Look at those scholars. <laughs> well, and forgive my cough. I'm sure I'm terrifying you all and you're all going to put masks on and spray me with... <coughs> I didn't want to cough this morning. I took cough medicine. I hate cough medicine. It makes me feel weird. And when I woke up this morning, I felt perfectly fine. And now I'm hacking up along. Um, but in any event, Haggai talks about building the temple. The background, I'm going to read chapter one this week. I'm going to read chapter two next week. There are only two chapters in Haggai. But the background is God's people had been taken captive by the Babylonians. And that was their discipline for forsaking the Lord. They had turned their backs on the Lord. They'd worshiped idols. They had, uh, they had not treated the poor properly. And God said, enough is enough. And so he brought a pagan people in that took the, the people of, of Israel captive. This is the southern kingdom. And uh, actually, I say captive, literally took them out of their land and displaced them in various uh, other uh, uh, locations around Babylon. Seventy years later, and Jeremiah the prophet said that this would happen, 70 years later, the people were permitted to come back under King Cyrus. So the Babylonians were defeated by the Persians, and the first Persian emperor, Emperor Cyrus, uh, Persian king, if you will, uh, made a proclamation and permitted the people to go back. Well, their temple had been utterly destroyed by the Babylonians. The wall around Jerusalem had been torn down. It was not a pleasant time for them to return, and they did not return to a pleasant place. What they returned to was a heap of rubble, and they were going to have to do a lot of work if they were going to rebuild their homes and rebuild the temple and rebuild their city. So there are a number of uh, Old Testament books that address this time period. Uh, Ezra and Nehemiah are the key books. Um, but the prophet uh, that we're going to look at that prophesied during this time was Haggai, right? So um, the people had come back and they had begun to rebuild their homes, but they hadn't begun to rebuild the temple. So I'm going to read this passage. Um, from Haggai. This is the New Living Translation, which is a, um, a, a very dynamic translation of, of Scripture. If I can get to my bookmark here. Um, what I really like about the New Living when it concerns dates is they've actually gone back and sought to, uh, to give um, a, a current date for when these things were happening, all right? <clears throat> this is Haggai. Chapter 1, <clears throat> on August 29 of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. The people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. 
You put on clothes but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in, you, in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought in your har and when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of Heaven's armies, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. It is because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and, Jeho and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God. When they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. They began to work on the house of their God, the Lord of Heaven's armies, on September 21 of the second year of King Darius's reign. Now, I re-encountered this prophetic book and these words a couple of weeks ago, and I've been praying for some time about uh, whether and when the Lord wanted me to address this to you. But I'm going to tell you that it is absolutely imperative that we get back to the business of building this house. Amen? Amen. Now, that means we've got to keep up this building. Um, what has changed between where we are now and where we have been the last 10 years is that we're going to be responsible for literally everything in this building, right? Uh, the landlords dropped two new air conditioners on this building and they've taken care of the roof and so forth, but they're just telling us, no, that's you. And there is an original deal that we did with them 12 years ago now um, related to this building. And we're having to go back and we're, we're having to make sure that we can pay the rent for that. So um, this building is not a church. This building houses the church. But we have to have this building in order for us to meet and have the outreach that God has given us in downtown Garland. So um, I want you to understand that everything that I'm gonna say today is related to you as God's people. But I'm not overlooking the reality that we need to be about the business of filling this building with God's people who are willing to serve and who are willing to give so that we can do everything that we've been called to do, right? So number one, um, in Haggai, when it talks about rebuilding the temple, it's talking about building an actual edifice, right? The temple had been utterly destroyed. At one point, the people uh, rebuilt the altar and they offered sacrifices on the altar and then they paused. And then they laid the foundation of the temple. But then for many years, they didn't do anything. They didn't build it at all. They went and they did their own thing and they built their own houses and so forth. And so Haggai is addressing them with the reality that they need to start putting God first again. Now, this is something that I addressed to all of us several months back when I preached from uh, Revelation chapter two, which talks about um, the churches that Jesus preached to 
in the, the region of Asia Minor. And at the church of Ephesus, he says, I see all the things that you're doing. You don't tolerate evil men and you've, you've persevered, but I have this against you. You've left your first love. You've left your first love. You have all of these other loves in your life, but you've left your first love. And the first love is Jesus, right? Um, the scripture teaches us, um, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you as well. What happens is we encounter disappointments, we encounter obstacles, and we, we, we pull back into ourselves and we try to take care of ourselves. We, we get into self-protection mode, right? And you know, I've gotta provide for me, I've gotta provide for, for, for my folk, for my family, and it's completely understandable. But see, there's a level of trust, and many of you have expressed it through the pandemic or we wouldn't still be here. Um, one in five churches, uh, Barna Research estimated, would not return after the pandemic. Now, I don't know how that's playing out, but uh, I can see the challenges. You know, you guys sustained this church all during the pandemic by continuing to give. But our landlords helped as well because they weren't expecting us to pay everything that we uh, could have and should have paid, right? But now it's, you know, we've come to the place where we just have to step up. That's all there is to it. Um, and I am not going to put pressure on our people to give more. I am not going to ask anybody in this congregation to be sacrificial. I am asking everybody in this congregation to be faithful. Do you think that's fair? Yeah. Just be faithful. Do what every Christian is called to do. Now, there's a level of sacrifice there. There are people that don't even want to sacrifice to show up on Sunday. There are people that don't want to sacrifice to tithe. There are people that don't want to volunteer. They don't want to serve. And they consider that too much of a sacrifice, but that's not really a sacrifice. That's just being faithful. But here's what happens. And this happens in every church. This is not Lifewell. This is every church that I know anything about. It's the 80-20 principle. 20% 20 of the people do 80% of the work. And sometimes it's the 90-10 the principle. 10% of the people give, right, for 90% of what's going on. And uh, it's really not that much different in this church, okay? Each one of us needs to do what we're capable of doing. What does that involve? Well, so number one, um, as I've pointed out, but now we'll, we'll go into the outline in your bulletin. The temple is not made of timber, brick, and mortar but it is made of Holy Spirit-filled believers. So 1 Corinthians 3.16, um, the Apostle Paul said, do you not know that you all are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Now we've all heard and perhaps said that the individual is a temple of the Spirit. And later in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, the Apostle Paul does say, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. But let's stop for just a second. Your body is more like a chapel compared to the temple. Does that make sense? Have you ever visited a chapel? They're very nice, they're small. Um, I've got a, a cool picture of one that's just outside of Flagstaff, Arizona. Um, it's, it's right in the middle of a field and it's sort of this, uh, this A-frame building and you go in and you look out and the mountains are on the outside and it's got these little uh, you know, wooden benches and it's just a really cool little chapel that you sort of pull over and you go in there and you spend a little time with the Lord, right? But that's not the temple, it's a chapel. 
That's you, right? Yes, you are a temple, but we are meant to gather together as the people of God to become this greater temple, right? There are times when it is more pleasing, more pleasant to just be alone with the Lord. But we cannot accomplish the things that God has called us to accomplish individually. We have to be collected together. We have to gather together and not just sit and listen, but participate, become part of what's going on. Uh, Several months back, I uh, had a, a very pointed, brief message where I said that all of us needed to be present. We needed to pay attention. We needed to participate and we needed to produce. And I still would say that. I should have added a fifth P, and that is we need to pray. Right, Miss Mary? Okay, you need to be present. You need to be here. You need to uh, pay attention to what's going on around you. And that includes those of us that are, that are serving. Honestly, sometimes I'm so distracted by all the stuff that's going on around here. I'm not paying attention to what the Holy Spirit is doing up here uh, through our wonderful band. And I have, to just, I have to force myself to focus and pay attention, right? And then participate. Well, you're participating now non-verbally when you're, when you're listening and you're receiving and you're giving me this non-verbal feedback and so forth. That's participation. But participation includes doing the other things that we do. Now, again, I've said this a number of times. I don't expect everyone to come to everything that we do, but we're doing things so that we can bless you and your kids. And I said this to the children's workers uh, last Sunday, but uh, the majority of what I'm doing these days is for kids. Right? Tuesday night karate, it's pretty much just kids. Wednesday night is not, and that's my Bible study. I'd love to see more of you come. Many people came last Wednesday and that was exciting. But uh, drama club on Thursday, that's pretty much kids, right? Um, The fall festival, well, that's gonna be church-wide, but you know what? A lot of it has to do with kids. And then, by the way, Halloween is gonna be on Sunday. Did you know that? I want your kids to dress up. They'll have fun. And we'll bring them up here and we'll show them off to everybody and uh, Pastor Craig will ask them what they are and it'll be fun, trust me. We did it last year. But we do this all for these kids. We love these kids, right? Um, but we need volunteers to work with kids. You know, you participate, you actually do something. You show up to these other things. If you can, come to karate. If you can, come to drama club. But there are other things that we do. Uh, when we do, you know, what we do upstairs, we need to have volunteers for that. Um, I am foreseeing a need for youth workers. We're gonna need to really rework our, our youth ministry in the coming days. It's gonna be uh, very, very important. And there's other things that we can do if we have people that are willing to participate. So I was thinking about this um, yesterday or day before. When someone uh, falls, okay, and the paramedics are called, this person's laying on the ground, the paramedics come and they put their stethoscope down and they do all the stuff that they do. When one paramedic turns to the other one and says, this person is unresponsive, what does that mean? It means they're dead. Are you unresponsive? You might be spiritually dead. See, we're not all the same type of person, and I'm thankful for that. Some people are far more expressive. 
Some people are, are far more uh, extroverted and emotional, and some people are more reserved. So I remember Mr. Vernon, he was always more reserved, right? It's by the fact that he you know, grew up in Assembly's Church, he was still a more reserved person. And we've had other people that are more expressive. There are people that feel more comfortable throwing their hands in the air and saying amen, and people that don't feel comfortable doing that at all. But see, if you're not responsive at all, you're probably dead, spiritually in need of those paddles to be attached to your heart and shocked back to life, amen? In need of revival, in other words. And that's the first thing that needs to happen. Haggai was seeking to motivate God's people to rebuild the temple, right? So we're that temple. We're the, the building blocks of that temple. Um, now, number two, although each, each believer's body is a temple, we are not our own. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 6.20. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. And we are not called to worship alone. So your body is a temple, call it a chapel, but you're not alone. And you're not called to worship alone, right? Um, we're to gather together regularly. Um, we're called to do that in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And autumn, <coughs> excuse me, I have that passage there. Uh, this is what it says, and this is uh, the ESV uh, is what I have for the translation here. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're supposed to not neglect meeting together. We're to encourage one another all the more as we see the day of Christ drawing near. That's what the church is called to do. Now, I'm just going to be very honest with you. If we're not doing that, then we are disobedient. If we're not doing that, then we're falling short. There's another word in the New Testament that defines falling short. Do you know what it is? For all have and fallen short of the glory of God. When you fall short of God's standard, when you fall short of God's expectations, when you fall short of what God has planned and prepared and designed and commanded, then you sin. It's just that simple. Now, nobody wants to hear this, especially since we've habituated to not showing up regularly at church. But the reality is, if you can be in church and you're not in church, you're falling short of what God has planned for you. And that's sin. And you're not going to see God bless your life or your plans or anything else if you are not putting him first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you as well. Those of you that are doing what you're supposed to do, I would add simply expect God to do what he's promised to do. Amen. Amen. And then share that when God blesses you, share it. Say, so you know what? I have been showing up. I have been giving, I have been serving, and yeah, it wears me out sometimes, but you know what? This is how God is blessing me, right? Um, so uh, number four, the pandemic has certainly been the cause for many churches to be in ruins. And that's what it says in verse four here. This is why I think that uh, this is appropriate. Uh, Haggai is appropriate. Haggai 1.4, he says, why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? 
This could be a message for any church, not just Lifewell Church. Because, you know, we were, we were given free money by the government during a time when some of us didn't need it, others of us did need it. And we, you know, we're caused to focus on ourselves and focus on our families and everything like this. But you know, there are a lot of churches that still haven't recovered and still haven't come back. And we're in that process where our, our people need to be about the business of getting back to normal again. Um, and actually our normal needs to be beyond anything we've ever done before. We need to start building this church. Number five, the time has come to build God's church. Now, um, I've got a, a couple of passages of scripture. One of them is from the Psalms. And I've been looking at this particular uh, Psalm for years and years and years. How many of you know what our church used to be called? Zion. Now, why did I want to call our church Zion? I wanted you to recognize the promises that God has made to his people often in the Old Testament with the name Zion attached. This is uh, Psalm 102, verses 13 through 16. You will arise and have mercy on Zion. And now is the time to pity her. Now is the time you promise to help. For your people love every stone in her walls and cherish even the dust in her streets. Then the nations will tremble before the Lord. The kings of the earth will tremble before his glory. For the Lord will rebuild Zion. He will appear in his glory. He will listen to the prayers of the destitute. He will not reject their pleas. So I and others have been praying for this church for years, beginning in that, uh, during that time period when we were called Zion. And I am fully expecting that the Lord will have mercy on us and to say, now is the time to pity her. Now is the time you promised to help. We're going to need God's help. But let's look at uh, uh, the establishment of the church. When was the church first established? Well, it was established by Jesus and it began with a confession of faith that was made by the Apostle Peter. So if you wanna follow along, I'm gonna go over to Matthew chapter 16. I'm gonna read verses, uh, verses 16 through 19. Actually, I'm gonna back up. I'm gonna read, uh, I'm gonna read the whole passage. I'm gonna start with 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, uh, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he asked them, but who, <coughs> who do you say I am? Now this is critical. This is something you need to answer. Who do you say Jesus is? See, that's what decides where you spend eternity. Who do you say he is? We all have an answer for that question, right? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah or the Christ, the son of the living God. Verse 17, Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now, here's where the church gets established. Now I say to you that you are Peter, means a pebble, means a small stone. And upon this rock, I will build my church. This is a large stone, right? Uh, I've often said this, uh, Craig's name comes from this term for rock. It's a crag. It's a large stone, a large rock, right? It's like the rock of Gibraltar. It's like a pebble versus the rock of Gibraltar. Peter is not the foundation of the church. That's not, <coughs> that's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is 
<clears throat> Peter's confession of faith is the foundation of the church. What's the confession of faith? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the foundation. Jesus is the foundation. That's how you build the foundation in your life. You confess that Jesus is your Messiah. He's your Savior. He's your Lord. That's how you get the right foundation for your family. That's how you get the right foundation for your personal life. That's how you get the right foundation for your building. And that is the only foundation that the church can be built on. Or it's not the church. It's just a social club. Just a, you know, an outreach organization for some particular uh, ideology or, or political viewpoint or whatever. Um, I had a man that stopped by. Uh, you'll see him out there taking pictures. He's wearing a hat. He's got a big old mustache. And he, he stopped by. And I, I know the, the gentleman. I worked with him for a number of years um, in a volunteer organization. And uh, he came up and he said, I, you know, I heard you guys are, are you know, are, are needing some help to stay in your building because I, I posted on Facebook. And he pulled a check out of his out of his shirt and handed it to me. I was like, wow, and it's a pretty significant amount of money, which, by the way, it's in the box back there. Right. <laughs> but the reason that I bring him up, he's a, he, he's quite a blessing to our church um, is uh he had stopped attending the church that he had previously been attending when I had worked with him before. And he said, yeah, he said, it's just, they don't lift up Jesus anymore. It's just become too political. Is all they do is talk about politics. You see, you might think that that's a church that is on one side or the other of the political aisle. And you have a 50-50 shot of being right. But the reality is the church is not here to uphold the right or to uphold the left. The church is here to uphold Jesus. Amen? Amen. And when you preach Jesus, you're going to look like a liberal to the conservatives and a conservative to the liberals. And if that's what you look like, you're probably preaching the gospel because the gospel is radical in many respects. And it is not going to fit anybody's viewpoint if their viewpoint is based upon politics and upon where this country uh, has been in the past. Because as I've told you before, left and right are just a product of where we've been. All right. We need to follow Jesus. So the church is founded on Christ. And that's where we need to maintain our focus. And if we do, then we'll have integrity. Number six, if you're called to be part of life, well, then this is your calling to build this church. Right. So I'm going to zoom through these last ones because I want to I want to end quickly. Um, we have one more song and we're going to take up our offering. But I want you to have time to begin to, to, to take these things into consideration and do something about them. What are these things? You need to be giving. You need to be attending. You need to be serving, praying, and inviting people. So here's the beauty of it. If we had our own building on our own property, once this service ended and you walked out the door, you'd be interacting with each other in the parking lot, hopefully. Well, what's going to happen when this service ends and you walk out that door? There's a whole crowd of people out there all walking around. And you know what you can do? You can walk around with them. You can look at the same car as somebody else and say, hey, that's a cool car, isn't it? And start up a conversation. You know, some of us are shy people. Some of us are worried to a fault about what other people might think about us if we were to say anything. But what I found is I don't, I'm not interested in selling the church. 
I'm not interested in, in coming up with a, a cheap promotional strategy. What I think we need to do, and what I think the church has been built on for over 2,000 years, is relationships. You build relationships with people and you talk to people like they're human beings, they're worthy of your respect. And then if they're interested in hearing about Jesus, they should be hearing about Jesus from you all the time because that's just what's oozing out of you, okay? So what do I do? You know, I, I went over and watched a, a couple of football games at Dos Banderas. They've got some new screens in their, in their uh, bar area back there. And I watched a couple of football games there, interacted with the new owner. His name is Matt, super cool guy, by the way. Uh, met a couple of other people, you know, while I was over there. Watched Baylor absolutely destroy West Virginia. <laughs> and watched UT lose to Oklahoma. Wah, wah, wah. Hey, don't get, don't get mad at me. Don't get mad at me. I went to Baylor. That's why I support Baylor. Um, but in any event, and so then I came back here for a while. And uh, then I went over to Intrinsic like I always do. Nicholas wasn't there. He's on vacation. Um, but I went over there and, you know, I interact with all of those different guys that are over there. Daniel and Leo and David. And I know all these guys over there. And, uh, and then one of our old... I say one of our old, you might not even know this guy, uh, an old youth of mine uh, that was in the youth group back when uh, Craig and Rachel were my youth back in the day, Drew, was over at Intrinsic. And I mean, this guy talked my ear off for two hours. Okay, he was a little drunk, but <laughs> he's a super nice guy. Kept trying to buy me beers. I'm like, no, I don't. So I don't need all those beers like you do, brother. But we had a long and, you know, fun conversation, you know, talking to him, trying to get him to come to church here. There's other people that are listening in and I'm talking to them. What I'm trying to get at, folks, this is just my way. You do you your way, right? But you need to take the everyday traffic patterns of your life, where you go, and open your life up to other people and interact with them. That's all you got to do. I'm not asking you to sell this church. I'm asking you to be Jesus to these people, amen? And invite them to come. The majority of people who have come to this church, who are new over the last five years, have come because we are in downtown Garland. And we're interacting with people down here, right? You can go right down the line. Many of the, the super cool people that have come to this church in recent years have been because we're in downtown Garland and a few because of our, our online outreach. I want more of them to come because a, they have interacted with you and maybe not in downtown Garland, somewhere else. Now, again, some of you live pretty far away. We've got folks in Fate and Royce City and, you know, Saxe and Wiley and so forth. They may or may not want to come this way, but open yourself up to them. Open your life up to them, right? Invite them to come in because, see, the timber that we need to build this church is right outside the door. Just look at them as logs walking around looking at cars. <laughs> you look like you'd be a good piece of timber for our church to rebuild. Come on. We'll find a place for you, right? That's what the timber is. And they're right outside the door. So yeah, I don't know, you know what you planned on doing, um, but maybe cars aren't your thing, but it's an excuse, it's an opportunity. And look at some of the other things that are going on down here. I mean, they had, uh, they had a, a craft fair, whatever it was, yesterday. 
um, all day long. There's all sorts of stuff coming, you know, going down. The, the beauty of it is if you're down here doing something with people down here, all you've got to do is go, hey, that's my church right over there. We need to use this building. Oh, we don't need to be in this building. Period. That's just the way it is. Okay. I believe we're here for a reason and I believe you are the people and this is your time. I believe in you. That's why I'm not saying, oh, we're going to go under sacrifice, sacrifice. We need more. No, do what you are called and capable of doing. And we're going to be just fine. The people that are already giving, I'm not asking you to give more. The people that are already serving, I'm not asking you to serve more. But if you're not giving and you're not serving, then I am asking you to step up. Because if we all do what we're called to do, then we're going to see some amazing things happen here. Right. Um, and then the blessing, number eight, if you do, you and your family will be blessed. That's what happened in Haggai. And we're going to see that next week. Um, and the biggest blessing, by the way, I want you to be able to pay your bills. I want you to be able to have enough time to spend with your family, that sort of thing. But oftentimes we misconstrue blessing with more money. The big blessing that we find in Haggai is the Lord promised, I am with you. That's what you need. Do you know what the Apostle Paul said? He said, I've learned how to get along with little or with much. You know what his answer to that was? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You need Christ to strengthen you when you have a lot, too. Because we get easily distracted when we have a lot. And, you know, we have a lot of friends on social media. We're so distracted by them because we become minor celebrities. We have a lot of money. So, you know, we got to manage our money and spend it and do this and that with it. But the real blessing is not more friends on social media and more money. The, the real blessing is Jesus. Amen. Like you really have him with you. So when you're when you're you're healthy, you have him with you. When you're sick, you have him with you. Right. And uh, we need it through all those times. And number 10, last one, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. So that's Psalm 127 one. I am not advocating for us to just run around and do our bit because there are plenty of organizations and institutions that, that become very, very large and they don't have anything to do with Jesus whatsoever. But if we're going to build the temple that is going to house the presence of the living God, right? And that's what uh, it says in Psalm 22, that God inhabits the praises of his people. He is enthroned upon the praises of his people. If that's going to be the case, we've got to have God's help in order to accomplish that goal. Amen. So come next week, invite people to come next week. We're going to do part two of this message next week. There's lots of really, really cool promises attached to chapter two. I will let you read that on your own. Um, you don't have to wait till next week to find out what the Lord might be saying uh, about that. But uh, I hope that you will commit yourself to being a part of this project that God called into existence years and years ago, because it's time for us to move. It's time for us to grow. Amen.